0: Just before Christmas, Ambassador Vasevolod Safinsky, the Soviet Union's man in Wellington, meets George Jackson from New Zealand's Socialist Unity Party at a motel in Auckland. Their room is bugged by the SIS, and they report back that Safinsky gives Jackson 10 grand in cash. Our then-PM Robert Muldoon takes a pretty dim view of all this, and then he takes action.
1: The Soviet ambassador is being expelled from New Zealand because he has personally been involved in the transmission of money from the Soviet government to the Socialist Unity Party. The evidence on which this decision is based
0: is conclusive. Ambassador Savinsky disagrees with the PM's version of events.
1: It is absolutely lying, slander, and nothing more. In
0: 1979, things are already titchy between the two countries, as RNZ reports. And the move came only two days after a package of measures announced by the government against the Soviet Union in retaliation for the Soviet intervention in Afghanistan. As for reprisals, we can certainly expect to see our man in Moscow back here fairly soon. Dead right, our ambassador is expelled, and we sent only a wee team to the 1980 Moscow Olympics in protest over the invasion of Afghanistan. But life goes on, and butter and mutton continue to be sent from here to there, and larder cars imported from there to here, which is surely the real crime. Despite normalish service being resumed, it's felt that our diplomats in Moscow need a bit more security. So Defence Force personnel are deployed there to keep things safe. One man jumps at the chance.
1: How would anyone in the military ever get to go visit the Soviet Union and to actually get the chance of living behind the the Iron Curtains?
0: This is James, that's not his real name. He's a former military policeman in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. His first deployment to Moscow is in 1983 and he prepares for it as best he can.
1: Those who'd been up there prior to you made contact with and found out how things were going and what you needed to take and all that.
0: The SIS and the GCSB give them a briefing on what to expect.
1: That we could be followed, we would be persons of interest that You know, common sense needed to prevail.
0: October 1983, James lands in Moscow. It's a tenuous time in the Soviet Union. Leader Yuri Andropov had died earlier that year, and Vasily Kuznetsov is temporarily in charge. There's a reformer named Mikhail Gorbachev, he's just off stage waiting for his cue. The economy is slowly tanking, and the war in Afghanistan is about to get very nasty. James sees a country in trouble and in transition.
1: Snow on the roads and the edges of the road was dirty grey from the pollution. I'd never seen traffic like it. I'd never seen six lane roads going in each direction. The building's very drab.
0: For the next three months the New Zealand Embassy is his home and his office.
1: You're in the what's called the Inner Ring Road, so you're within a kilometer and a bit of Red Square. The living spaces, we had a three bedroom self contained flat in the basement or semi basement of the embassy. Um, I can't describe the work environment, sorry.
0: James can't describe it because it's a secret. Even his presence in Moscow is kind of cloak and dagger. He's not in uniform, he isn't armed, and his job title isn't embassy guard. He's a technician. James and his colleagues work 17-hour shifts with a couple of days off, making sure there's always a presence at the embassy in case of trouble. I ask him about his daily tasks.
1: (laughs) No, I can't. No, that would be... No, I can't, sorry. Still can't be talked about.
0: I get that a lot. Everything about this deployment is a secret. James had been overseas before with the Air Force, but Moscow was different.
1: You just couldn't go down to... The telephone box and make an international call to New Zealand couldn't go post a letter. All our mail had to go through the diplomatic mailbag from the time you put a letter in the mail, like on a Friday morning, to receiving a reply three to four weeks later on the Friday when the diplomatic mailbag came back in from London.
0: And every time he steps out of the embassy, he's followed, which is amusing.
1: It became a bit of a game as you went. Outside the embassy you had a, a militia person in his little weak guard box at the gate and if you turned left or right, um, depending on who he'd ring, the next militia person who would be around either left or right corner. You had to be fully aware that you were being watched but if you took it too seriously you, it would you'd actually affect yourself. You'd close yourself in and mostly you would not want to go out.
0: The embassy's phones are definitely bugged. James rings home once, but his overexcited kids accidentally hang up on him. So he rings the exchange to try and get reconnected.
1: And just said, I I was talking to New Zealand, and bang, the phone call was reconnected. I didn't say who I was, where I was, Um, yeah.
0: James is keen to see who's right and who's wrong about life in Soviet Russia. Out and about in the capital, daily life doesn't exactly strike him as colourful.
1: Pretty drab, um, queuing up for food, clothing. If you saw a queue, it was interesting to find out what people were queuing for. You know, it might be tomatoes, it could be bacon, it could be toilet paper. So those sort of stories are, are very true. Just because a shop window might have um, clothing in the window doesn't mean to say they actually had clothing for sale. They worked they went to the movies they did their shopping it wasn't as draconian as what I was led to believe the general populace weren't willing to make friends with who they knew were foreigners I was approached on the on the metro one day um, by a Soviet who saw my camera and I couldn't understand what he was saying so I, I pulled out my diplomatic ID card, and soon he saw he was with an embassy. He um, just quickly backed off.
0: As a result of all this, James and his team become close.
1: Most of us had worked together or had been on courses together, so we knew who was coming up, and Kiwis being Kiwis make friends. So we had our contacts within the Canadian embassy. I'm, I'm still friends on Facebook with somebody who I met, you know, 30 years
0: ago. With his three months up, James goes home in early 1984, but five years later he's back in Moscow for a second tour. Gorbachev has the wheel now, and the economic reforms of his perestroika programmes are starting to bite, while political openness has a new name, Glasnost. Things feel different.
1: there was a new energy, there were Mercedes cars on the roads and things like that. So, yeah, things were just starting to make the advance into where the new Soviet Union was going to.
0: But some stuff hasn't changed. James is on duty the night of the Tiananmen Square massacre in Beijing.
1: Soldiers have been continuing to fire indiscriminately at crowds and passers by. Received a phone call from ambassador to the Soviet Union's son who was working in the embassy in Beijing and he just said to me tell mum I'm all right and then the phone went dead. During the late morning and early afternoon dozens of tanks, jeeps and armoured personnel carriers roared in a convoy along the boulevard. One man even stood in the part of a tank near the square and succeeded in bringing it to a halt. So I tried to tune our shortwave radio into the BBC and um it was just totally blitz for three days. There was no radio communication inside of Moscow from the outside world. Unofficial estimates of the number of deaths have varied considerably, but the figure is widely believed to be well into the thousands, with the great majority of the victims thought to have been unarmed civilians. Because you couldn't pick up a phone and say, hey, what's going on, it made you quite aware that something dramatic had happened. But until we opened up the secure line to London the next morning, you know, it was about a five-hour period that we had no idea what had happened in Beijing.
0: That isolation bites even harder when his wife falls seriously ill. He's 16,000 kilometres away, going home isn't an option, and phone calls cost $20 a minute.
1: That distance and the lack of communication certainly was the real low part of the time up there.
0: He's relieved when it's time to go home again. But he does have some great memories of his time behind the Iron Curtain, spending New Year's Eve in Red Square, counting down to midnight with a crowd of Russians all around him.
1: It was just like, well, where am I? A real false sense of uh, location, but it was it was a, a great time, and the fact to see that certainly at one point in the year the, the Muscovites could uh, let their hair down and enjoy themselves.
0: It's been nearly 30 years since James's last deployment to Moscow. He's left the Air Force and his health isn't great. To his eyes, the tensions between East and West never really went away, regardless of whether the leaders are called Gorbachev or Putin, Reagan or Trump. His reasons for speaking up now and possibly compromising the secrecy oaths he swore back then are personal. In April 2018, the approximately 150 Defence Force staff sent to guard the embassy were finally officially recognised for their service after decades of secrecy. And because of that secrecy around their deployment, it's been hard work for them to get the recognition. But when they get it, it comes with benefits like veteran status, better health care, and some acknowledgement of the stresses and the difficulties they faced serving at the epicentre of the Cold War. And with the passing of that time, James is even happier he got to visit there but lives here.
1: New Zealand, with all its faults, is a great place to live.
0: This story was produced for RNZ by me, Justin Gregory, using archival audio from the Taonga Sound and Vision. It was engineered by Jeremy Veal and Blair Stagpole. You can subscribe to every episode of Eyewitness at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, or at radionz.co.nz forward slash podcasts. Make sure you give us a rating when you're there too. In the next episode of Eyewitness, we go on the ice with artists in Antarctica. And if you've got stories you want us to tell, you can get in touch with us at eyewitness at radionz.co.nz. Ka anō.